Hello and welcome to episode number 59 of the Armand Show podcast. This one's about behave. We're closing up the book as far as descriptions of what's in the chapters. Let me adjust the volume a little bit. That might be a little bit better. Nice. Okay. One day I'll super get super skilled at the volume or the mastering or something. But that day is not today. And it's not bad. You can understand what I'm saying quite well. But I feel like there's more it could take in. Who knows? So putting that aside, back to the book. Behave. You know I finished it. And I have a summary of the book. I have all the chapters, notes, and everything. I've done all the way up through 12 on this podcast. So now I will be doing 13 through 17. That's right. 13 through 17 and the conclusion part. With pauses in the middle because that's my genius move on here. When I pause, you have no idea. I could have walked around for two minutes or got water or something. This is the power of editing. What a sneaky move. That's what movies do, television, all this stuff. You think everybody looks so smooth in real existence? Nah. If the thing you're watching or listening to doesn't look like the world you live in normally, it's edited. Yeah. If more people did that math, we wouldn't fall for these things. Look at the world you see. Look at the world that's presented to you. Do they match? No. That's all editing, timing, presentation, whatever it is. Don't fall for it. I I don't. That's all. All right. So onward we go. Chapter 13 of the book was called Morality and Doing the Right Thing. Once you figured out what that is. It was about morality. And here comes that pause so I can catch my breath for a couple of minutes. Oh, I didn't pause. I did a stop. So... Oh, well, this will come out the same. Yeah, next time, pause, Armin. Come on. So, chapter 13 talks about morality. He mentioned Michael Shermer in this chapter, who I've read two books on, and I interviewed him because he's a morality expert, if you will. What was key in this chapter about morality? It talked about processing, truthfulness, cooperation and competition, Uh, We do a lot in cooperation and competition. We punish people that are too nice. That's actually a thing because it makes us look bad. That's a thing that happens in society. Punishment for people doing things too altruistically because it puts more pressure on other people to do the same. There was a lot of dynamics of like uh, money games in this chapter describing what happens in conflict in games of money where one person loses, one person wins. It's very straightforward and direct. There's a section called stealing. It talks about stealing, decision-making with uh, doing things that are wrong. We have different ways to respond. So there is consequentialism which takes a lot of processing and moral reasoning. It looks at the bigger picture. Then there's deontology. That's more emotional processing with the amygdala and insula. Those respond to fear and disgust. And it's more about selfish thought. That's a different way to do ethical processing. You can do it selfishly instead of broader picture for all people. And then the last one is virtue ethics. Virtue ethics is like the perspective that you're better than that. You're better than stealing. So why would you do that anyway? 
few different perspectives. They take different parts of the brain into account more so. They get activated more. Yeah. Veracity and mendacity. Oh, yeah. If you tell a lie, it activates part of the PFC. Lies take our most effort. There's a big section about lying slash cheating and deception. It takes a lot of frontal brain effort to lie because you have to convince the person you're sticking with the non-truth. You have to stick with that non-truth. You have to rationalize why you're doing it and why it's okay because it's tough for your brain to process it. And then you have to keep it up in your brain. A kid who lies earlier at a younger age tends to have a higher intelligence comically enough because that's what it takes to do a lie yeah pfc activation again with babies and animals oh there was a section about uh monkeys they would reject a reward if the monkey next to them got a better reward funny stuff I think so. Do we follow some of these things? Yes. Like, oh, he got more? She got more? Well, then I don't accept this. Like, I don't accept a bad deal, even if it was good for you. So there's a lot of these social effects you can take advantage of, which advertisers do. Companies are really good at taking advantage of these things. All right, that was chapter 13. On we go to chapter 14. Now, in this chapter, it talks about feeling someone's pain, empathy, understanding their pain, alleviating their pain. Paus Armin. And he is back. Now, one of the key points from chapter 14 was that empathy or processing others conditioned is about self-interest. If you can monitor someone else's misfortune to learn about what to avoid by observation alone, that's a huge advantage. Empathy is in your interest. You absorb the situation, learning from it for yourself. It's not a very nice thing. Alleviating their situation somehow could be nice, but it could also limit them because they need to solve their own in the future. It's hard to actually help in some way. But empathy is definitely self-oriented, and you can use it too. Your brain processes the situation as though you are in their situation. So you get a free example or a free story to go through. Another item that I took note of was that you have to be perceived more of an us than a them for people that don't process much to accept what you're doing. So if if you want people who don't really know who you are to accept what you're doing, the more they process you as one of their group, the more likely they'll be okay with stuff that doesn't really fit in. That is valuable. You can use it any way you will. YouTubers and many marketers use these skills. I noticed them. The us versus them thing is a big deal. Lastly, from this chapter, pro-social people are the ones who have heart rates that decrease when others have problems. They can hear the sound of someone else's issues. 
other people, the ones whose heart rates go up when somebody else has a problem or pain or something, they don't help much because they're too busy with their own heart rate going up and them feeling the situation. The calm people help the most. And now chapter 15, metaphors we live by. Now this chapter had examples of metaphors we use as symbols, flags that were used in war that represented conflict. And if you saw that flag, that meant enemy or gang colors, things like this. These go straight to the brain, the insula, the visceral and moral disgust come up when you see certain imagery. This kind of disgust is meant to protect you from viruses and pathogens, but translates to the social world that we live in. So you might see a color of someone that's your enemy group, and now you have this, ugh, yuck, that's the uh, must, those are them. Gotta get them. This chapter was mostly about those kinds of symbols. Now, chapter 16 is called Biology, the Criminal Justice System, and Free Will. There's a section that says, oh, why not? Free will. So he talks about free will, uh, as you might know of. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I don't really feel that we have any free will. Shout outs to the world and universe. He talks about ways you can think about it as far as free will. We could have some, all, or none. Most people don't believe we have none. And most people don't believe we have all because there's times if you have a seizure or your spinal cord is severed, you don't have free will. You just follow the movements that your brain tells you to do. It's out of your hands at that point. So in some ways, there must be limitations. Over the years, we find more and more limitations. I, I would gander to say that the end result would be seeing that there was limitations the whole way down. We don't really have any form of free will I'll leave that part there this chapter talks about that concept and the, the author's view as well he agrees with me on that concept and then lastly chapter 17 the final chapter of the book <clears throat> was called war and peace now he talked in this chapter a lot about war and what happened during war some very interesting stuff the trench warfare how the people after a while they would start to become like friends across from each other with the enemy because they were just sitting there like oh we're gonna shoot them but they would uh do pretend truces with the enemy there was teamwork that was built in it was almost like they were playing a board game and like let's not kill each other because they were being managed by superiors to go fight, but they didn't want to be there. And if they could have all talked with each other, they would have said, why are we doing this? But they didn't, because they were set up by other people who were running the show. Interesting concepts, right? If you could have stopped those people along the way. Yeah, this chapter is a little bit saddening, because you realize another example of people being ended for somebody else's variety of the day. Yeah. Most of this chapter is about war. Elements like that. PTSD. PTSD doesn't come from just direct combat. But from the feelings of such combat. Which causes a large and hyper reactive amygdala. 
it could be through indirect connection to killing like the people who did like long distance uh drone strikes they would see what's happening from maybe a thousand miles away i don't know how far and so they would watch people for days and days just walking back and forth and then finally they would be the ones that would have to blow them up that causes ptsd now in the end of the book the there's a wonderful epilogue with like a summary of all the chapters obviously i've talked about most of these concepts but i'll just pick a few here to go through as i close on this great book the brain has so much plasticity and there's no surprise it has to work that way the brain had to adapt over the years to whatever we threw at it or nature it is very adaptable as you can see when things are messed up in youth or changed it adapts Uh, well, yeah, we're more about anticipation and pursuit of pleasure than the actual experience of it. It's a higher dopamine dopamine peak. We divide the world into us and thems, and we prefer the us, and we can be manipulated as to who and what is in which group. Watch out for that. This group thing is a big deal. And the last little note that I will take account of is, oh, this one. We are constantly being shaped by seemingly irrelevant stimuli, subliminal information, and internal forces we don't know a thing about. They're shaping our decisions, what we do, who we like, what we like. And we're figuring things out over time, but there are details that we don't, have mapped out yet which is good do we want every single thing mapped out so far i don't know i don't know all right that will close my summary of behave chapters 13 through 17 potential interview in the future i'll let you know about that with the author if it arises but for now this has been episode 59 you know the show on to the next <laughs>